Are you ready for God's Word today? Right? Ready for the Word of God. Let's grab our Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, everybody. And we are in a series that we call the Bible series. The Bible, just simply the Bible series. And really what, you know, one of the things God really spoke to me about on our elders retreat, and we took pastors and elders, we had a, a retreat. We do this every year. We ask God what he's saying to the church, et cetera, and, and how we can lead the church the way God wants it to be led. How many know really as staff and pastors and elders, we're just good followers. God's the leader. You understand? And, um, and really, there was such an emphasis on discipleship that I really wanted to change a little bit of how I preach in that I want to give you good information and good theology along with the same application so you can apply it to your life, so you can use this today so you understand why it's important. And when we're talking about the Bible, you know, I talked about this last week, but there are so the Bible has been under attack. You understand the Word of God has been under attack since Genesis chapter 3. So for thousands of years, the Bible has been under attack. By the way, it has one predominant attacker, and he is Satan. He just uses a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But the Word of God has always been under attack and always will be under attack. But I want you to understand, when we hear things in culture like, aha, I've finally proven the Bible's irrelevant or not true, I want you to understand no, they didn't. People have been trying to do that for thousands of years. No one has discredited it. No one has disproven it. The Word of God has withstood every attack. We kind of talked about that last week. I also know in our culture, there are, you know, I've, I've seen TikToks, all religions are the way to God. No, there is one way to the Father, and He is Jesus Christ. There is only one way. Are you with me? But if we don't know the Word of God and we don't know that the Word of God is sure and proven and true, right? If we don't understand that in the culture in which we live, we can get into a lot of trouble because people are bombarding us with the attacks on God's Word through social media, through TikTok. By the way, TikTok is not a great source for theology. <laughs> it is not. There's, I mean, Spirit Sister 863, Inspired Boy 437. They are not theologians. And I laugh because they're like, aha. And I'm like, what you just said was the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And you're promote, and here's what's crazy. It will blow up, go viral, and there'll be, you know, there'll be a million views, and, and everybody will be liking it and sharing it. And I'm like, y'all understand. Somebody ought to fact check this. I mean, this isn't even historically accurate, right along, let alone theologically correct. I mean, what in the world? But, but here's the problem in our culture. Here's the problem in our culture. The problem in our culture is we're, we start with us. And this happens even in Christian circles. We start with us, and then we go to the Word of God to find a verse that tells us we can do what we already decided we want to do. We start with us, our desires, our wants, how we want to live. And then we go to the Bible and we try to make it say what we want it to say. And I want you to understand it's the Word of God. We start with the Word of God and we line our lives up with the Word of God. We do not try to get the Word of God to line up with our lives. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so I wanted us to understand 
why, you know, a lot of questions about the Bible, a lot of cultural issues about the Bible. And I want us to understand why we base our lives on the Word of God and what the Word of God is and how we got it. And we talked last week of how we know we can trust the Word of God. And we talked about it's historically accurate and it's scientifically accurate and it's prophetically accurate. And Jesus trusted the Word of God because some people, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the Bible. Well, He is the Word. So if you, you don't understand theology because you can't love Jesus and not love the Word. You can't follow Jesus and not follow the Word. He was the Word. In the beginning was the... Thank you, right? And, and we talked about how it survived all the text, and we talked about how it was thematically unified, and we talked about how you can experience the power. If you missed that message, it's on YouTube, Spotify, website, the app. We got it out there. Eight million different ways you can find that message, but go get the message, Okay. Um, this week, I'm excited about this week because I want to continue in this series and I want to continue helping build a foundation about, how, about just understanding the Word of God. Um, and so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I'm just going to read two verses, but they are powerful verses that we need to completely understand. 2, 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, All, time out. How much? What does all mean? Okay, all means all, and all all could ever mean is all, and that's all. Are we clear? All scripture, that word is graphe in the Greek. It means writings or scriptures. Typically, interpreted scripture is the word that's interpreted scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. For, in other words, this is what you build your belief on. That's what doctrine means, what we believe. This is what you build your belief on. All Scripture. Not the part that I like. All Scripture. For reproof, right? That means proving what is right and what is wrong. For correction, that's telling me to get right. And for instruction in righteousness, that's how to live a godly life. That every man and woman may be complete. By the way, that word could have been translated mature. In other words, so every man and woman could grow up. There's a lot I could say right there, but I'm just not going to. And be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, you can grow up and do what God called you to do. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. Today I'm going to answer the question. I told you every message style will be a question. Uh, last week was how can we trust, how do we know we can trust the Bible? This week is how do we get the Bible? How do we get the Bible? Where does this Bible come from? How do we get this Bible? Right? By the way, next week is how do we know we have the right Bible? Because we have a lot of questions, and it's been debated in church for some time, do we have the right Bible? You know, people talk about, well, there was the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Peter and there's the Apocryphal writings and the Maccabees and all this stuff. And how do we know? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. So don't miss next week. But this week, we're going to talk about how did we get the Bible because Paul tells Timothy how we got the Bible. We need to understand what Paul is saying. So let's pray together and ask God for his help because how many know we need it? Amen. Jesus, help! Amen. So you're like, that's the prayer? That's all we needed. He understood what I meant by help. He needs, he's going to have to help me. He's going to have to help you. He's going to have to help us. Right? 
What's Paul writing? He said, all, we talked about all means all. Scripture, graphe, that's the writing, sacred scripture. And they said is inspired by God, inspired by God. What I'm really going to tell you in the introduction, the introduction, by the way, is going to take most of the message, and I've got three points at the end, so don't get nervous. <laughs> Somebody's already nervous. Um, but what I want us to understand and what Paul's telling us, and I want us to understand what Paul's telling us, in the church we call it the, the doctrine of inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration. Now, if you're like, oh, that sounds too, I don't know, academic for me or whatever, it's okay. You understand I'm preaching it and I'm not academic, right? You understand who you're talking to. I'm just the sexist guy, right? And uh, I say y'all and uh, ain't. And, uh, and I make up words when I can't think of the right word. So we're okay, all right? But I want you to understand, we need to understand the doctrine of inspiration. We need to understand what Paul is telling us. We need to understand where this Bible is coming from um, because Paul is actually telling us how we got the Bible. He's telling Timothy how we got the Bible. And, and time out, I want to make this point so I don't forget. When Paul says all Scripture, you understand at the time, Scripture was the Old Testament. Because there's a movement, you know, I follow Jesus, don't need the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not relative today. By the way, that's nothing new. We just think it's new because we hadn't heard it before. But that's nothing new. But I want you to understand what Paul said. He said all Scripture. So anything that's Scripture. So we have the canonization of the Old Testament as Scripture. So he's talking about the Old Testament. All the Old Testament is inspired by God. But then we have the canonization of the New Testament, which is now Scripture. Right? In fact, Peter references Paul's writings and calls Paul's writings Scripture. So now we're talking about the, the New Testament and, and its Scripture. So all the New Testament is inspired by God. So when all says, when Paul says all, y'all, he means all, y'all. Are you with me? And so we're talking about, well, how did we get the Bible? Well, let's talk about the word inspiration because in our culture, uh, we use the word inspiration, and we use it in a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts. We, we can say, man, when, when that person spoke or that person sung or the speech they gave, it was very inspirational. Or here's an inspirational quote that we're going to put on Instagram. Or that, that work of art is just inspiring. And so we use the word inspiration in our current cultural vernacular, if you will. But what Paul is talking about is something different. He's not just talking about something that, that we put but maybe on a different level that, that truly had an impact on us, he's actually telling us how we got the Bible. See, we use it, well, that was inspirational. What we're talking about is the impact it had on us. Paul is telling us how we actually got the Bible. That's why we need to understand. The word inspiration, by the way, in the Bible, uh, depending on the version of the Bible that you have, it translates it a lot of different ways. Well, it translates it one way, but it may look different. No, that's right. It translates from the Greek to the English in several different ways. Some, some we, we just read all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that phrase, given by inspiration of God, that, that phrase, which you know is several words, actually is just two Greek words that are put together. Other versions say it is God-breathed. Um, it's the breath of God. I mean, there are different versions. But those, those words, however your version lists them, really come down to two Greek words that are put together. Theo, theopneustos is the word, theopneustos. Um, theos and neustos technically put together become theopneustos. And so theos, we understand theos, theology, the study of God. Theos is God, okay? 
Neustos, well, what does that sound like? What's, what's the word in our neustos? Pneumatic. Pneumatic. So, guys, if you have pneumatic tools, you understand those are wrenches that you hook up to an air compressor. You know, you know kind of like the dentist. That's fun. That's the sound you want to hear on a Sunday. You're welcome. I come with sound effects. <laughs> so pneumatic means air, right? So, so literally what Paul is saying in one version, trans, I think the NIV translated this way, God breathed. That's, that's literally what the phrase, Paul's saying all scripture. How did we get all scripture? And here's what Paul says, God breathed. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Inspiration means breathed into. Breathed into uh, motivation or breathed into desire. I think accurately we could have said all scripture is given by expiration. In fact, a lot of theologians would tell you that would be really just as accurate, although we understand theopneustos, but the way it's translated, all scriptures God breathed. Well, if you think about it, for him to breathe into, because Paul's saying the way we got scripture, listen to me, is God breathed it into man. But in order for God to breathe it into man, God had to breathe it out. Because when you speak, you breathe out. Has anybody ever tried to speak while breathing in? Time out. Let's just try it. This will be fun. Ready? <laughs> Everybody look at your neighbor and tell him good morning while breathing in. Right? That's a good way to injure yourself, isn't it? Or hyperventilate or something like that. No, when God breathed it into them, he had to breathe it out from him. Now, now while we understand theoretically, that's what Paul's trying to explain, there are a lot of questions because the Bible doesn't say, well, exactly, how did God do that? Like, how did that take place exactly? Like, God breathed. And, and then they wrote, but, but how did that happen? And there, there are some theories, and they're out there. I'll give you two really quickly. They're the most predominant that are incorrect. And one is, um, one is uh, mechanical inspiration, mechanical inspiration. And essentially, that, that theory says, essentially, that, that God actually um, went around, if you will, or subverted or rendered useless the capacities of the person and possessed their hand in such a way that they were just a printer. Okay. In other words, here's phrases you might know, uh, another concept. And like mechanical writing, right? Which and Ouija boards, which I don't suggest either of those because typically they're demonic. And so he's saying a sense, so the, the idea of mechanical inspiration is that God somehow took the pen and, and they had no understanding or knowledge, uh, their personality, their capacities, those type of things were bypassed and God just used their pen to, to write the Bible. It's, it's never really, it was never applied in the Bible anywhere, no, no, nowhere in the first century church or in the early church does anyone ever think this is it, but this is one theory and it's not a correct theory. Another theory um, is the dictation theory where God essentially sat down and said, take down these words. And there were times where God would say, hey, 
put these things in writing, but that's not all the way through the Bible. Um, we get the dictation theory from uh, the Council of Trent, the fourth session in the Roman Catholic Church, because they're discussing it, and they said that, that, that the scriptures were given to us, the Holy Spirit, this is a quote, the Holy Spirit dictante, which is a, a, a Latin word uh, which we get to dictate. But nowhere in those writings of any of those early fathers, theologians, etc., would anyone say that God pulled up a chair and said, here, pull up a chair. I'm going to give you, I'm going to say it, and then you just write it down. And so that's not what happened. So what happened? Paul's telling us what happened. And the key word, theologically, the key word you need to understand is superintendence. Because what the, what the doctrine of inspiration says, and we would say this, we believe, I believe, in verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal plenary inspiration. What does that mean? That every word, God moved by the Holy Spirit in such a way that he superintended every word, not subverting or bypassing the writer, but working through the writer to make sure he got the words that he wanted in the order in which he wanted them. So he used their personalities and we see their personalities in scripture and we see their, their writing styles in scripture. And you understand that, that's, you know, some people say, well, is the Bible figurative? Is the Bible literal? Yes. It's also, there's hyperbole, there's prose. I mean, the Bible has all types of literary styles because he is just working through the capacities and the faculties of 40 different writers over 1500 years in three different languages on three different continents in 12 different countries but he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is breathing on them in a way that the output are the very words that he wanted on the page. And that's really what the doctrine of inspiration says. That, that all scripture, that every word essentially, because the argument Paul is really, Paul is really not trying to tell us how, he's trying to tell us who. That, that's really the, the secret. That's really the power of 2 uh, Timothy 3.16 3, is that Paul is saying all Scripture, all Scripture has its origin in God. He is the originator. He is the reason we have it. He is where we got it. That God in his great power by the Holy Spirit breathed and when he expired, when, when he breathed out in demand that the power of the Holy Spirit came and with God's superintendent selecting the right men at the right time, in the right place, with the right personalities, with the right heart, with the right motives, and as they wrote, every word was actually God's word, but it came through them. In fact, Jesus goes farther than than what we would call verbal plenary inspiration because Jesus says, says this. In fact, we, we read it last week, but he says this. For truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not, and I use the ESV because I like iota. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. By the way, if you're, K, if you're KJV people, King James people, that's your jot and tittle verse. Uh, NIV, I think, says the least pin stroke. Um, jot and tittle, uh, I think jot is the smallest uh, letter and tittle is the smallest mark you make uh, in writing. And that's why that was used. But here's what Jesus is saying. Every dot on every I 
came from God. It was inspired. Every cross of the T came from God. And none of that's going to pass away. None of that's going to pass away. And so when Paul is talking about what it means that this all Scripture is breathed out by God, what he's saying is it didn't have its origin in man. It had, we didn't get the Bible because of man. We got the Bible because of God. In fact, Peter puts it this way, first, 2 Peter 1.20. It says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. So he's talking about Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture. Prophecy never came by the will of man. You can say this way, Scripture, without hurting the text, you can say Scripture never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke or wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is inspired, and that means it every, let's do it, every word, every word. Not, not the words that are comfortable, right? Not, not the words that just make us feel good. Not just the words that, that we really like, not just the promises we really like. But every word, not just the parts we understand or think we understand. No, every word God moved and he breathed. And in the power of that, he superintended those words so that when he moved on man, he got every, all scripture, he got every word that he wanted. And he didn't get any words that he didn't want. Because you understand there are a lot of people like, well, do we believe all the Bible? Well, you know, maybe some of the Bible isn't the Bible, but maybe some of the Bible is the Bible. Let me say it. Let me say what they're just saying in a way that some of you, it will resonate. It's no different than, did God really say? So I wonder where it came from. Oh, hell, that's where it came from. I just woke somebody up because they thought I cussed in church, y'all. I wasn't saying, oh, hell. I was saying, oh, hell, as in the noun. I love church. I just lost a religious person right there. I'll never come back to this. Ethel, get your purse. I'll never come back to this heretic up here. It's no different. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. Well, who gets to decide which parts of it are really the Bible and which parts really aren't? Oh, me, based on how I feel today. And do you understand the slippery slope of that? Do you understand why Satan would move that way? Because once you question one word, you can question every word. And once you don't have to live by one word, you don't have to live by any word. And you wonder who's behind it. It's not enlightened people. It's a devil that's been at work for thousands of years since the garden to try to take credibility away and cause people to doubt and not live by the Word of God. And if he doesn't want you to live by the Word of God, I wonder why. Because he knows if you live by the Word of God, you win. So it's inspired. Now here's where it gets interesting because there are two other words. They're all I words, theologically speaking. If it is inspired, brace yourself, it is inerrant. 
lot of people want to debate this. In other words, they say, well, there's er there are errors in the Bible. Now, I'm going to explain what, it, what inerrancy or the doctrine of inerrancy would mean, but let me explain it this way. There are people, well, there are errors in the Bible. Yes, there are grammatical errors in, in some of the copies. Absolutely, there are grammatical errors. And, well, there are clerical errors. You know, I think King says David killed 700 charioteers, and Chronicles says David killed 7,000 charioteers, right? Well, was it 700 or 7,000? Does it matter? He killed them. It doesn't change King David. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change anything that's said. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's been studied for thousands of years. It's a clerical error is what it is, clerical error. So when we say inerrant, what do we mean? Well, what we're saying by when we say inerrant, we're not saying that there's not grammatical crudities. You remember, this book was written by educated people as well as not-so-educated people, right? I mean, Peter wrote, wrote some of the Bible. He was a fisherman, y'all. Have you ever heard a fisherman talk? <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, you get them Jimbo right there, and you load that over there, and you get a jig over here, and you do this right there, and that's how you get it right there like that. Right? He wrote the Bible, y'all. So I'm not saying there's not verbal or grammatical crudities. I'm not even saying that the Bible speaks precisely that when it speaks, it doesn't speak with precision, uh, like scientific precision, because it was written by people who were not scientists. It is scientifically accurate, but there's a difference, and let me explain. Scientifically accurate, when it is speaking of things of science, it is accurate. We talked about a lot of those last year. The Bible was right before science was right, and the longer people studied, they finally proved the Bible knew all along what they were studying. We talked about that last week. But I'm talking about it, and you've heard me use the easiest example is the Bible says, well, the sun, the sun was moving across the sky. And people say, aha, aha, aha. The sun doesn't move, the earth moves. Well, yes, but remember the Bible, and this is your word. You've heard me use this word before. The Bible was written in phenomenological language, meaning the language of observation. So for the person that wrote that, they sat there all day, and to them it looked like the sun moved across the sky. They're not an astronomer or an astrologer. They're not a scientist. They're just telling you what they saw, which is how we got the whole Bible. Most of it is written by people just telling you what they saw. They didn't say, I have a Ph.D., and astrophysics. No, they said, uh, I'm Bubba from down the road and the sun moved across the sky today. But again, why did we have that verse? Because God superintended the verse. He wanted us to have those words. So they mean something to us. Is it figurative? Is it literal? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it could be any type of literary style because it's written by so many different people in so many different ways over so many different times, right? But here's what you need to understand. It can't be inspired. The law of the Lord is perfect, right? So if it's inspired by God, it's perfect. So you can't have an inspired Bible that's, that's not inerrant. You can't have both. If it's inerrant, it's inspired. If it's inspired, it's inerrant. Meaning, when we, say in, when we say the Bible is inerrant, here's what we mean by that. And I'll just read you what I wrote down. Um, it means that there are no errors of truth, there's no deceit, there's no fraud, and there's no lies. Every word is consistent with the Bible's definition of truth. Now, having said that, because I could hear somebody say, yeah, because the Bible says it's true, doesn't make it true. But what did we say? It's inerrant because what? It's inspired. 
So that means the Bible is consistent with God's definition of truth. So when we say the Bible is consistent with its own definition of truth, it's, it's, that's true. But, but where did the Bible get its definition of truth? It's inspired, then it's inerrant. So the definition of truth came from God, and the Bible is consistent with it. Are you with me? And then if it's inspired and inerrant, it's infallible, meaning it cannot fail. Let me give you three points really quickly, and these will be fun. Number one, what do we take away from this? Well, the Bible is supernatural. Let's write that down. The Bible is supernatural. Let me read you Hebrews 4 really quickly. Um, Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active. Do you, do you see what they just said? For the word of God is living. No other book making that claim. It's saying that the word of God is still alive. It's not just ink on, on parchment, right? That the word of God is living and therefore it has activity. It produces activity. It is active. The word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing division of the soul and the spirit. How sharp is it? It can divide your soul from your spirit. No scalpel can do that, y'all. Then he goes on to say, of the joints and the marrow. And look at this. And the discerning and the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The, the Bible can tell you what you think about you. It can tell you why you did what you did. It can tell you what you've been thinking about. It can tell you if what you're thinking is right or wrong. The Bible, listen, I, you've heard me say it, but you don't read it. It reads you. It's alive. Are you with me? It's supernatural. I just wrote a few of these down, but, but how supernatural? Well, number one, you're saved by it. James 1 says, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. You're saved by it. Number two, you're changed by it. the renewing of the mind, Romans 12. Number, no, number three, you're overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony. Luke chapter four, Jesus said, it is written. You can't live by bread alone. This is when he's tempted of Satan. And he says, turn the rock into bread. He said, it is written. You can't live. How did Jesus overcome? By the word. By the way, I didn't write this down, but you're sustained by it. Because Jesus said, you're not, you don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're sustained by, and then we're guided by. This is just another one. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The, the Word of God is powerful. If I'm lost, it tells me how, how to find my way. If I'm down, and, I'm, and it tells me how to overcome. If I'm weak, it tells me how to be strong. If I need to be transformed, it transforms me. And if I'm lost, it tells me how to be saved. It is supernatural. I thought about this because looking at our text, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration, by the breath of God. And I thought, man, we got the Bible. How do we get the Bible? God went, Whoo! breath. And I thought about our culture, and I thought about people, and I thought about what I hear. I'm so tired. I'm worn out. I'm just out of breath. I'm winded. And I thought, you know what? The Word of God is so powerful. When I'm out of breath and winded, if I'll go to the Word of God, I can breathe in the breath of God. Listen, can I just say something? How long can you go without air? I mean, if you're a Navy SEAL, what, like four minutes or six minutes or something like that maybe? Maybe seven now. I don't know how long they do it anymore. I can go about 27 seconds. 
How long can you go without air? And here's what I'm saying. In a, in a day where culturally we come to church about once a month, twice a month maybe, on average, that's the Barna survey, by the way. I'm not saying it's pathway. I'm just saying it's Barna. Can you live on one breath a month? Can you live on two breaths a month? I'm going to tell you this. Even if you're one of those pathway people, you're like, well, I'm going to be here every Sunday. You can't live on four, you can't live on four breaths a month or one breath a week. I'm telling you, it's imperative if you want to win that you get in this book. It is supernatural. It is powerful. And it makes dead things come back to life again. Number two, the Bible's authoritative. I want you to think about authority or authoritative and author. The Bible says that God's the author of life. The author of life gave us a book that he authored called the Bible. He is the author of life and the author of the Bible. That means whatever the Bible speaks to, it is an authority on. Did you just hear what I said? Whatever the Bible speaks to, it is an authority on. God is not giving us, he did not give us the book of holy suggestions. He did not give us the book of holy theories or hypothesis. He gave us the Holy Bible. And if the Bible talks about it, the Bible's right, and it's the authority, and if you do it any other way, it doesn't work. Let me tell you, Luke 16, 7, this is what Jesus said. But, but, and he's talking about the new covenant and the gospel of the kingdom versus the Old Testament. But here's what he said. He said, but it doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. In other words, law's not going to pass away. He says this, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. In other words, he said, if God's law speaks to it, that's it. It stands. In fact, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. God is not interested in our opinions. He has given us the word and he says, this is how it is. As my grandfather would say, this is how the cow eats the grass. Are you with me? Listen, so what does that mean? Well, it means that because the Bible speaks to these things. The Bible speaks to life. So the Bible is the authority on life, not TikTok, not Dr. Phil, right? The Bible is the authority on life, not Oprah. The Bible is the authority on life. The Bible is the authority of morality. Well, what's right and wrong? Whatever the Bible says is right is right. Whatever the Bible says is wrong is wrong. God is the author. He's also the authority. So the Bible is the authority on whatever it talks about. The Bible is the authority on purpose, on why you're here, on origin, where you came from. The Bible is the, the authority on money and finance. The Bible is the authority on marriage and relationships. And brace yourself because the Bible is the authority on sex and sexuality. One of the, one of the most dam, damnable things that I've seen going around on TikTok and Instagram and all this is this newfound, aha, we've had an epiphany that no one's thought of before. And, and what it is saying is when the Bible talks about homosexuality, that that word wasn't added and, you know, like that word's been added in the last 60, 70 years. 
Um, or the, that word wasn't added until we had an English Bible, that that's not the original word. Well, well, yeah, because homosexuality is not a Greek word. So obviously the English Bible had to add that word just like it added cow. Because cow is not a Greek word. I can tell you are so nervous about what I'm about to say. And I love it. And so one of the things is, well, did y'all know homosexuality wasn't in the Bible? It was added by the English translators. Yes, every English word was added by the English translators because the Bible wasn't written originally in English. Thank you, Spirit Sister, Spirit Sister 683. That's brilliant. The next one is, well, when, when the Bible translated that word, that word shouldn't have been homosexuality. It should have been pedophilia. Okay, let me help you with something. No. That's not what the Greek word means. When, when Paul is writing and he expressly mentions homosexuality, by the way, if it's making you nervous and you're like, I'm out of this church, I don't like you anymore, pastor, because you're talking about homosexuality, you know what? The Bible talks about all my sin too. Did you know that? Like every sin I've ever committed, it, it's, that's how I know it's a sin, because the Bible told me. And do you know I need to know what sins are? Because you know what? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and I don't like that. And if you don't want the paycheck that sin brings, you got to know what sin is so you can stay away from it, because I'd rather have the paycheck righteousness brings than the paycheck sins bring. And when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, I don't like that. I would like life and life forevermore. So if, if sin brings death, I want to know what the sins are. Are you with me? And so they'll say, well, that, that word wasn't homosexuality, it's pedophilia. No, it's not actually right at all. Paul's taking two words, he's putting them together. They have their basis, by the way, in Leviticus, and it means a man who lays with a man. That's literally, it doesn't mean a man who is sleeping or, or exposing children. It says a man who lays with a man. That's what the word actually means. And somehow we decided that's pedophilia. That's not it at all. That was made up by somebody who wanted to justify their sin. And that's nothing new. People have been justifying sin since the beginning. Adam said, it was the woman you gave me. I didn't sin God. It was her fault. <laughs> now we just say, I'm not sinning God. It's your fault. You made me this way. This is great preaching, y'all. I just want you to know I'm having a good time. I can't wait to read the emails. But it means man who lays, and by the way, if you remove that word out of the Bible, we still have several places in Scripture, one of the most obvious being Romans chapter 1, that even though it doesn't explicitly say homosexuality, it describes it. And it describes it as being something that God calls sin. Now, here's the great news. Can I just tell you the great news? Because if you're mad at me and you haven't turned me off yet, Here's the great news about the Word of God. Whatever God calls sin, He delivers you from. So for you to say, well, this is me and I can't be delivered. No, anything God calls unrighteous, the blood of Jesus was shed to deliver you and set you free from it. That's the good news. Just like, just like maybe your sin is different than my sin, but everything the Bible calls sin, and y'all, there was a time in my life I was pretty darn good at sinning. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't have to take a class on how to learn to sin. I just was naturally a natural. It's the only thing I was natural at. 
Why are y'all looking at me like you've never sinned? You bunch of pious religious people. Right? But the Bible says all sin. If it causes sin, it's sin. Pornography is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Fornication, sleeping with someone you're not married with, that's a sin. The Bible calls them all sin. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what's in the book. You know why I'm telling you what's in the book? Because the wages of sin is death. The sin has a payday. Sin is always pleasurable until it becomes painful. And I want you to know the Bible is the authority on it. Are you with me? And if the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. Gossip is a sin. It amazes me how many church people will go to like anti-gay rallies, but good Lord, they, I mean, the pastor or the staff or somebody can't hardly sneeze and they've called eight, 87 people to tell them about, you know what I heard? Hmm. Really? I, we, we, as a staff, we deal with problems all the time. You know what I heard? You know what? I heard a lot of things too. The problem is you're repeating them. It's still called sin. Okay, well, if I have any friends left, listen, I, I wrote this down. I want to read it to you. If you believe the parts of the Bible you like and you don't believe the parts of the Bible you don't like, you're not trusting God at all. You're just trusting yourself. Here's the last thing. Y'all ready? Y'all are so glad for this one to be over, aren't you? Dear God, it, the Bible can't fail. The Bible can't fail. If it's inspired, it's inerrant, and it's infallible. The Bible can't fail. What does that mean? It means the, it's the only thing I can count on with 100% certainty in this world. Did you hear what I just said? It is the only thing I can count on with 100% certainty in this world. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. That means if I build my life on it, right? Joshua said, meditate on this law and be careful, listen, to do all that's in it and then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. Here's the secret. You have to do what it says. He said, all that is written. Make sure you do all that is written. How much is scripture? All scripture, right? If you want to stand, you have to take all of it and live by all of it. And you have to do what it says. Now, here's the caveat. You can't do what it says if you don't know what it says. The reason Satan is destroying many believers is because they don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what it says. And none of our pastors, and me included, are good enough to have you one hour a week or one hour here or there and get all the Bible into you. I'm hoping during this series, it stirs us up as a church to say, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to find a reading plan, whether it's on version or I download one online, whether I'm going to read the Bible through in a year, I'm going to start with the Gospels or whatever it is, and I'm going to read the Word of God every day because I can't go without air and I can't go without breath. Look what Jesus said. 
Matthew 7, it's the wise builder, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice whoever hears them, you have to hear them, you have to know them. And whoever does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. Why? For it was founded on the rock. Do you know what my prayer is? Do you know why I'm doing this series? Do you know why I preach my guts out every weekend? Because I know the rain is coming. I know the wind is coming. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust. I don't care how much you love Jesus. Life is going to happen because we're in a fallen world. Are you with me? And I know rain's coming. And I know wind's coming. There's going to be a layoff. There's going to be a death. There's going to be a tragedy. I wish to God that it wasn't. And I pray for your protection every day. But I've been a pastor 20 years and I know life's coming. In fact, I've been a human for 29 years, and I know life is... <laughs> that hurt, y'all. And I know life's coming, and I want your life to stand. I don't want your life to fail. Are you with me? And the only thing that ensures that, according to Jesus is if you will build your life on his word. Why? Because it's really his word. And since it's his word, it's without error. It's inerrant. And since it's inerrable, inerrant, it's infallible, meaning it cannot fail. You can build your life on anything else you want. And here's the only promise Jesus makes. It will all fail. But there's one thing that will not fail, and that is his words. They will stand forever. Let's build our lives on the supernatural, authoritative, infallible Word of God. Amen, everybody? That'd be a good place to clap right there. Why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come. And I just want to remind you that we end every worship experience with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer for anything. And it could be you need prayer because you need a relationship with God. It could be you need prayer because you need to be forgiven. It could be that you have a relationship and you need prayer. It could be you need encouragement. You're dealing with depression, anxiety. You have a health situation. It doesn't matter. We believe prayer changes things. We believe God hears and God answers, and we just want to pray with you. And so I just want you to take advantage. Don't leave today if you need prayer. And if you're online, you can text my pathway prayer to 94,000 and someone will be in touch with you to pray with you wherever you may be today. Will you bow your heads with me? And God, I just thank you again. God, I thank you again for the power of the word of God. God, that you gave us your words. Help us to live by them. You breathe them out, God, help us to breathe them in. God, that our lives would be changed. God, everything else, every other foundation is going to fail, but not your word. With our heads bowed, will you take a moment wherever you are, and will you just ask God what he's saying to you today? 
I love for us to do this every week because I know God speaks. And you just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit or God, what are you saying to me? And God, I pray as they ask, God, I pray you'd speak. It may be about the message. It may be about something else. But God, we just want to hear your voice. I just pray you would speak to every person. With our heads bowed, we're listening. Maybe you're here and you need to come to the Lord. Or maybe you need to come back to Jesus. And maybe you need to be forgiven. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with him. And, and you know that's you. You can sense it. You can feel it. And you know, I'm not really following him. I don't have a good relationship with him. I've, I've done some things. I need to be forgiven. I want you to know, he, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened down, and I'll give you rest. That's what he wants to do. And if you need that, I want to pray for you. So no one's looking around when I count to three. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. You're lifting it for God and not for me. But I want you to lift your hand. Ready? One, two, three. That's you. Lift your hand. I need a relationship with God. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. If you lift your hand, I'm going to pray. Even online, you can lift your hand. I'd love to pray with you too. You're lifting your hand for God to see, not for anybody else. But with our heads bowed, if you lift your hand, the Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we confess that with our mouth, then we're saved. So that's it's not having the right words. It's just about giving words to your faith. And so if you need a relationship with God or you need to be forgiven, that's all you have to do. But I'm going to give an example prayer, and you're welcome to use my words if it helps you. But it would be something like this. You say, God, I believe in you. Just say that with your mouth. God, I believe in you. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I believe he's the Savior of the world. I believe he's my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of the things I've done wrong. Help me to follow you. I choose you to be my Lord and my Savior for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray as they pray that prayer, Lord, you would let them know your love, your goodness, and your grace. Let them sense your presence and your closeness, and God, lead them in the rest of their lives. God, I just thank you, Lord, again for your faithfulness, for your goodness. God, we all want to love you and we want to serve you better. We want to follow you. And God, as we open the word of God, God, I just pray over our church there'd be such a hunger for the word of God. And Lord, as we read it, it would transform our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, somebody. Give God praise today. He's so good. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, 
I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.